Peter Mason lives life to the beat of his own drum. He is a passionate drum corps participant in two different groups, and he also loves food, art, and is an adult living with 22Q. He's had over 40 surgeries in his life so far, and he is just a very incredible guy, optimistic, artistic, and kind. I am honored to introduce you to Peter. Welcome to the 22Q Podcast. My name is Becky White, and today I have Peter here with me. Peter is an adult living with 22Q, and he is a foodie, he is a drummer, and he is an amazing artist as well, and I can't wait for you to get to know him. But Peter, welcome, and thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me. Of course. Tell us about yourself. Please introduce yourself, where you live, where you work, your family, what you like to do, everything. So um, I live in Connecticut. Um, I currently don't work full time or anything like that. I'm, I've been out of work for a few years, actually, because of my health issues. So um, mm-hmm. just been going through a lot of surgeries and health issues. Just What were just you been... doing before? I was actually a pastry chef. Nice. Actually, I'm an artisan bread baker. No way. Do you really enjoy working with your hands? Is that? Yeah, I'm always keeping something in my hands. Yeah. Tell me about that. Did your dad play drums? Yeah. So actually both of my parents played drums and that's how they met. Oh, get Um, out. They were both in Fife and Drum Corps, which is a huge activity here in all over New England. And it's actually... Uh, a big activity all over the world, but specifically within New England and all over the East Coast and over parts of Europe, it's really big. We have a lot of friends in Switzerland, so our drum corps has actually traveled to Switzerland multiple times. I've, I think I've been there four times already. I've been to Canada. I've been to, we just got back from a trip to England in September. That's amazing. Um, I've been to Germany and France. Mm-hmm and a few other places. And we've got another big trip with our family just coming up in May. That's great. So drum and music has just been core in your family life. It sounds like. Yes. Yeah. You had drumsticks in your hand at three years old and you just started playing. Um, with and this that- was before I could walk or talk. As well. Right. Right. And, you know, tell us about your journey with 22Q too. And please share with us your 22Q journey and how it began. I've talked to my parents a little bit about when I was very little. Um, I was diagnosed around the time I was born, and they sent me Montefiore Hospital in New York. And at that time, that's where Dr. Sprinson was. And a lot of you guys in the 22Q community know Dr. Sprinson because he's one of the leading researchers in 22Q. He's got a team of researchers out there now. Some of them are actually at Connecticut Children's Hospital which is where I go. I have my cardiologist there, but I go there to see my cardiologist before my major surgeries. Mm-hmm. And um, I think up until about the age of five or six, I went to go see Dr. Sprinson. I have some vague memories of going up to, to the Bronx, and that's why I became a Yankees fan. <laughs> <laughs> and much to my dad's, you know, yeah. Regret. <laughs> he, he grew up a Red Sox fan, so it became a bit of a rivalry in our house. Nice. 
one I of my like, brothers is also a Yankees fan too. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, Gotta keep it interesting, right? Yeah, definitely. And so, when you were younger and you were going to all these appointments, what is your first memory of how your parents told you you had 22Q? I honestly don't even remember. Um, I think as early back as going to the ENT appointments, because my ears have always been the biggest struggle for me. And I had heart issues going up too. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember in my ears and going to the cardiologist when I was younger. Mm -hmm. I also remember being pulled out of school a lot when I was a kid because I was sick. I would wake up feeling like totally fine. And then I get to school and then I'd be like flat out. What did it feel like? It was mostly a lot of air infections and sinus infections. I had RSV a lot as a kid. So I had grew up with lung issues. Mm -hmm. Um, Even up until my early adult life, I've had lung issues. They're not as bad now. They're a little bit more controlled now. So I keep like the nebulizer at home just in case. The cold winter months like right now are like the worst time of year for me, (laughs) especially since I'm a transplant patient too. So I've had three corneal transplants. Wow. So it's going to be a fourth in the next year or so. So we just, we try to do our best to Mm -hmm. keep me healthy. and And you mentioned your ears being one of the biggest thing. Would you mind just touching upon that? Yeah. So I, I would have to say probably two thirds of my surgeries were done on my ears over my life. Constant ear infections. There's a lot of scarring within my ears. So it's difficult for the average doctor to look inside my ear. I remember going to my first primary care as an adult and he couldn't even look in my ears properly because he couldn't figure out what was wrong just for a simple ear infection. So anytime I got an ear infection, he had to send me over to my ENT. And that's basically what it was like growing up as well. Anytime I got an ear infection, my primary, we had a great primary growing up too, which is not something you found so easily, even back then in the nineties. 22 especially back then, there was no support groups. There was no social media back then. There were no books on it. Because what year were you born? 87. 87. Okay. Yeah. Nothing. There was hardly anything. (laughs) Right. With your ears, did you have uh, mild to moderate hearing loss? It was more mild to moderate back then. Okay. And then it kind of stayed somewhat steady through elementary school, middle school, Mm -hmm. high school was kind of like average. And, you know, I was in the high school drum line, probably all the combination of the surgeries and being in drum corps and mm-hmm. probably added into it a little bit. And then all those things added up. I didn't use services in high school because I just wanted to be me. Mm-hmm. I felt like the services weren't so as important to me. So were they offered then. to you, but then you... They you were offered to me, okay. but I kind of turned them down. I was a bit stubborn and still kind of am in some ways. That's probably a common thing with 22Q, some of us being stubborn. No, I Um, mean. Just ask my mom. It's like, I'm very stubborn. Well, it's your choice and it's just how you felt. Why did you feel you didn't want those services? I think mostly I just wanted to fit in. You know, I just wanted to be one of the kids in high school. Mm -hmm. I had a good group of friends when I was in high school. And I want to keep that going. I was also bullied a lot in middle school. You know, that was the time when we were moving from just one school in elementary school 
to a bigger school with new kids for the first time, never met you before. So we're like out of the small little bubble that, you know, you weren't in before. So you're not protected by the teachers that you had before. And all of a sudden you have a new surrounding, mm-hmm. a little bit scary. <laughs> yeah, of course. And how so, did you deal with that bullying? What was not your very outlet? well. It wasn't very good at times. So I almost didn't end up finishing middle school, but my parents fought to get proper services for me, you know, just to finish middle school. It was a struggle that much. I remember. Do you find that you've shut that those memories out or do you just choose not to go back to those memories? For a long time, I shut them out. It was only until like a few years ago, I started therapy for a lot of issues I've been going through. Have you found it helpful? Very helpful. The first couple of therapists I went through were like not good for me. Mm-hmm. So it took a few therapists to get that right therapist. And I've been with the same therapist now for almost two years. That's wonderful. And it's kind of like Goodwill Hunting, you know, that movie Goodwill Hunting. Exactly. Where he's like, I don't need therapy. I don't need therapy. And all of a sudden he finds the right one. Exactly. It's, it's yeah. part of the process with therapy is finding the right person to help you through it. With your diagnosis, you had mentioned your heart as well. What sort of challenges have you had with your heart? I had open heart surgery at the age of nine years old. I was born with a VSD with a small leaky aortic valve. It's actually kind of really small. It's hard to detect. I think like the average cardiologist probably wouldn't even really notice it. I'm not even entirely sure on it, but I still go every year to get it checked. It's still there slightly. Mm -hmm. Um. But my cardiologist that I have now at the same exact office, um, he said that I'm in good condition with it now. And I probably wouldn't need surgery for the longest time, if at all. That's so, great. That's but, really great. Um, they did also find like a few years ago that I have like a slightly enlarged heart. So we're keeping an eye on that as well. So Okay. Okay. And has that affected your ability to partake in other things, whether that while you were growing up, whether it was sports or anything else? Um, so we did try sports when we were kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so we played baseball for a little while. I did the Boy Scout thing for a little while. Um, soccer, basketball, even a little bit of tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried volleyball, middle school to high school for a little bit. I wasn't very good at them. <laughs> Yeah, I am not an athletic person. <laughs> so we ultimately decided that drum corps are like main activity. That's we wonderful. march up to about 30 or 40 parades a year. Wow. Like all around the East Coast and sometimes all around the country, we travel enough and it brings us all around the world. There's no more unique activity than drum corps. I love that your family has drum corps. I think that is beautiful. It's just a wonderful thing that your family has that not many families can still say as a 35, 37, I think it's just wonderful that your family has drum corps and how has that bond and family time meant to you? It's meant a lot. It's held our family together through a lot of tough times. Like in many ways, when we've had our struggles, like drum corps itself has been like my extended family. And I know like I can always go to drum corps and just feel really relaxed. And that's 
my outlet. That's yeah. my biggest therapy. Mm-hmm. I have so many friends just in drum corps that I can just, I can rely on. That's good. And that's so important, right? It's so important yep. to have that connection, to have that community to rely on. Absolutely. That's great. You had mentioned a very high number of operations. Would you mind sharing that, the number of operations you've had? Yeah, I've had 40 surgeries to date. That, that is, uh, that's a lot. And out of all of those, which one was the most challenging for you, if you don't mind sharing? Ooh, there's been a number of challenging ones. So one of them, not necessarily a surgery per se, but I had a deviated septum that went horribly wrong. And I ended up in the emergency room afterwards. And I ended up having a spinal tap afterwards in the emergency room. Wow. And I ended up in ICU. All for a deviated septum. Yeah, that one nearly killed me. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Wow. So you- I've been in ICU twice in my adult life and that was one of them. Operations are very common with the 20GQ community. And do you foresee yourself having to do any more other than the, not ortho, um, ophthalmology. Ophthalmology, yeah. So um, with the ophthalmology stuff, I was diagnosed with a rare disease called keratoconus in both eyes. So tell me about Um, that. I've never heard of it before. So keratoconus, like everyone knows about corneas, which is like part of the eye. So basically it takes place when there's like some scarring or damage done to the cornea and it starts to bulge out in like a cone shape. And um, no one really knows exactly how it causes. Sometimes it could be natural and sometimes it could be not so natural. So I was diagnosed somewhere around 2009 after I, my eyes went blank and I just, just over like a four or five second period while I was walking down a flight of stairs <gasps> and I ended up breaking my foot. Oh my gosh. In the process. Um, so you so fell. I a, yeah. Oh. I ended up breaking my foot. I tried to get up and walk it off. You know, typical big brother. He's like, yeah, let's try to walk it off. And, for about five seconds, and, um, you lost your yeah, sight. There was like little, what they call floaters in your eye. That was a little concerning to me at the time that I couldn't see, obviously. <laughs> After I recovered from my um, from my foot injury, I ended up going to some consulting ophthalmology in Farmington. And I think it was within 2010, I had my first corneal transplant. So it was like a bit of a waiting period to get a transplant. At mm-hmm. that time, now it's just easier. They have like donor banks, and but this eye has held up really well comparatively to the right eye. Mm-hmm. Um, the right eye stayed stable early on for a lot of years, and then probably around 2018, that's when it started to slip a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right when I was going through the cochlear implant surgeries. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so it's like. And this is where I've learned that I need to slow things down with my body and not go through so much at once, but you can't exactly help that all the time. You know, with 22 kilos, like sometimes it all catches up to you and some, you have to go through stuff, but I'm learning to pace myself and slow down a bit if I can help it. That is important. Slow down and take a breath and yeah. also just know when there's too much going on. Yeah. It's not so easy all the time. Mm-hmm. So but, with your eyes, 
will you need reoccurring operations for the rest of your life? That's basically an unknown at this okay. point. Um, but we're going to fight to keep the vision as long as we can. I've had three corneal transplants. So I've had the one in the left eye and then two in the right eye. We didn't know about rejections with the transplants when the site just goes. Okay. Unexpectedly. And we found out it was because of my immune system because I was born with a compromised immune system. That was unexpected to me. With your eyes, will you need, is there, because it's an organ transplant, right? Or no? It's not exactly an organ. And it's a good question, actually. It's not exactly an organ transplant per se. It's more of a tissue transplant. So it's a tissue transplant. It's a tissue transplant. Will the donor tissue need to be operated on and replaced? So the way I've been told by my surgeons over the years is that there's no exact known for this. Everyone is different with how they take to it. Um, They're supposed to last typically 20 to 30 years before we know anything at all, which is pretty good. That's really good. Um, I didn't know if it was like five or four. But when I went through the process with my right eye, we weren't expecting what we got with it. Um, But basically, this is when I was going through so many surgeries at once with other health issues. I think I was going through five other surgeries in a short period. Oh, my gosh. Um, Because my cochlear implant surgeries were rejecting at the same time. I had infections around the abutments, and I had to replace these surgeries, these implants at the same time. And, um, you know, I almost lost one of the magnetic devices out of my skull because the stitches popped open. When did you decide that you needed the cochlear implants? What was the driving force with that? So I was out with my mom one time and my hearing what I had, which was just kind of average at that point, it might've even been at another audiologist appointment. I had inner ear devices at that point and they weren't working as well my hearing had just went it just crapped out wow and it kind of came back a little bit and then like kind of wobbled up and down so Mm -hmm. my regular ENT referred me over to the cochlear specialist so I I was no longer held with my regular ENT that I had seen for years switching specialists is not so easy (laughs) not at all and when you did lose your hearing, how long did you lose it for? I never fully regained it. That's when we decided to go through the cochlear process, which has been like three or four years in the making. Mm-hmm. I just finished my last one, I think, last year, maybe. That's wonderful. So Congrats. Is, yeah. So it's like no more surgeries directly on the skull for a long time, hopefully. So I'm finally like growing out my hair long. And, that's awesome. I've had to have like a shaved head for a long time because of the surgeries. I'm growing out the mustache and having fun with it for a little while. That's good. That's good. And what was that grieving process like for you when you lost your hearing? Because with, with music being such a key part of your family and yourself, Mm -hmm. I can't imagine how devastating that might've been at the beginning, but I don't want to speak for you. What was that like for you? It was extremely difficult because I was also going through the vision issues at the same exact time. Around that time, I was diagnosed with epilepsy. I was in ICU for the second time. So it's like, 
within that four year period or so, I had just gone through an extreme amount of trauma. That is a lot for one person. Yeah. What got you through it? Um, I had one of the biggest meltdowns during that time. Mm-hmm. And um, I was having panic attacks and I was diagnosed with PTSD during that time. And uh, that's when I, when my family decided like we need to do the therapy thing. And, mm-hmm. and that's a big part of what got me through it. That's great. So, the other thing that I wasn't sure I was going to mention a lot of people, it's kind of a taboo subject in the 22Q community and also in other health communities too is since my right eye is paralyzed partially right now, since the last three or four surgeries, my doctors have given me a medical marijuana card. It's not something we took very lightly either. We did a ton of research in that process. Um, we almost lost my eye in the process too during this wow. time. Yeah. And we fought to keep it. So, Have you found it helpful? Extremely helpful um, in more than one reasons. It's not meant to get high or anything, but it's it's meant to replace certain things. Like I was on painkillers at the hospital on and off. Those things are a lot worse to be mm-hmm. on and off of them so many times. Mm-hmm. And this has replaced at least four or five medications, maybe six medications just in the last year. Mm-hmm. Currently I'm on about 20 medications as it is. Well, it sounds like your family did their research. And looked into it and and, myself included, right. And figured out what was best for you. And I think that's a really important message for anyone, whether they have 22 Q or not, is that you need to do your research. You need to talk to your doctor and whatever it is you are looking to cure or fix or help manage pain, whatever it is, take the right course of action for you. And And this is just a temporary pain management it's not you know it's not something I take lightly um mm-hmm. I always say talk to your doctors seriously about this when you go through something like this start low and slow if you're going into something like this and whoever is going through the process with you they will definitely guide you through the process exactly yep so thank you for sharing that it's, no good problem. To, it's good to know. And what does a dip, typical day look like for you now as you're managing your um, 22Q? Well, I don't drive. So that's a huge part of it. I know a lot of people wonder that, you know, with adults in 22Q, um, with the epilepsy and the vision issues, I can't drive. So I mm-hmm. have to rely on others to get around when I have appointments. So mostly I get up, I have a dog. So she's like my, my big reason for getting up in the morning. Nice. Um, What's her name or his name? Bridget with a D. Oh, Bridget. Yeah. She's an English hound pointer mix. She's a big part of your life. Yeah. So I currently live at home with my parents. I know a lot of parents are wondering what my kind of living situation is being, Mm -hmm. you know, an adult with so many health issues. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a three family home which we're renting out the third floor. So mine is kind of like an, almost like an in-law apartment type situation. I have a full space to myself. So I've actually got a studio space apartment kind of to myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm actually doing this interview from my art studio within the apartment. So we actually turned one of the 
the spare bedrooms into an actual studio for me. Covered in drums and That's fine. art supplies in my sneaker collection. That's awesome. So, <laughs> so you're a sneakerhead, huh? Big time. I got about 10 pairs of sneakers currently. Nice. So nice. trying to grow it. What do you like to collect the most? What brand? Uh, definitely Nikes and Adidas. Mm-hmm. So nice. I love Jordans and Dunks. I haven't gotten any Dunks yet, but I do love them. I have some SBs, which are similar to Dunks. That's awesome. What size are you? So just in case anybody's listening and they want to send you a pair. Mm. Size 11. <laughs> All right. You heard it. Get him some size 11s, guys. What was your favorite color? Uh, I do have some red and white and black colors. I have um, some black and white and blue. So I love nice. different multicolor shoes. Mm. I don't like too simple. So. Me neither. Nothing pink. <laughs> Nothing pink. All right. You heard it. Nothing pink. <laughs> size 11. That's it. It's good to have hobbies. It's good to have interests and it's good to have these other things in your life to look forward to. I think it's wonderful. You always share your artwork on um, social media. Do you want to talk about your art and how you got into that? So, yeah, that was mostly kind of a therapy thing during the pandemic. And, um, you know, as I mentioned, I was going through so much. I've always loved art. I did a little bit in college, but not a lot to become super skilled at drawing. <laughs> um, drawing is extremely difficult to do <laughs> at any level. I had done some sculpting in college. Tell me about your early childhood school and then tell me about university, your college experience. So I grew up in Cheshire, Connecticut. As I mentioned earlier, I remember getting sick a lot as a kid. Mm-hmm. I remember in the doctor's office. Uh, missed a lot of school from surgeries. Mm-hmm. Um, even when I was in school, when recovering from the surgeries, I had, I remember like having bandages on my head. But when I couldn't do recess, I remember some, I had some friends early on that are still friends today, which is awesome. That was great. Um, they would actually come inside, especially during the colder months. And they would play board games with me. So I have like a, like a lifelong love for board games. Me too, my friend. <laughs> too. What's your favorite board game? I love all of the classics. Uno, mm-hmm. Monopoly. My family doesn't like to play Monopoly so much. It does take a really long time <laughs> it, to it complete does. the game. I play it on my devices now. So Yeah. Yeah. It's, you got to commit like three or four hours if you're going to play Monopoly. I can like speed through it on the devices too. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. So in all, from what you're sharing with me, it sounded like school was challenging. Is that a A little bit? Yeah. I was also in some special ed classes growing up too. I did early intervention. I still have a a lifelong friend, Sarah. Um, She was in early intervention. Um, So I'm still friends with her. I remember a lot of countless hours of speech therapy and OT growing up. Mm-hmm. which is also common with 22Q. That yep. went on through elementary school. I think that stopped when I went into middle school. For parents listening, if you could go back and tell your parents something that would help you throughout those school years, what really helped you or wish you did differently? Organization is a really tough one for me even today. Mm-hmm. I would have probably seeked a lot more help early on for organization skills. Okay. What subjects did you really enjoy? Honestly, writing. What about writing? Math is a huge struggle. I did okay with science. 
my seventh grade science teacher, I had one of the greatest teachers. She's one of my top three or four favorite teachers of all time. Mrs. Ms. Fody, or she's under a different name now because she's married. She always came into the classroom with a different voice. Really? Yeah. That's one fun. day she'd come in with like a Southern accent or she'd come with like a cartoon voice. Sounds like she made learning fun. Yeah. Tell me about your college experience. What was that like? Health issues over the last few years kind of took away from being able to finish. But I've tried a little bit of a few different things. So I actually went to school for criminal justice initially. And I tried, I was like, nope, not for me. <laughs> it's learning a lot about doing a ton of paperwork and office work. Not as exciting as you would think it would be. So I wanted something a little bit more exciting. So I went to culinary school. I graduated from technical school first in Bristol Tech and uh, Bristol, Connecticut, where I currently live. Great program there. I went to a two-year program there. Love the chefs there. I ended up working for one of them for a while. Fantastic teachers there. And they're very patient. You just got to work hard. And I was working full-time on the graveyard shift at a restaurant <laughs> Wow! while I was going to school. I think that's a big part of like my sleeping habits and why I'm such a night person. It's like, I've, I've always had sleeping issues too. That's another, you know, 22Q thing with me. It's like, I'm just always not sleeping. Why is um, it challenging? So I do also have like sleep apnea too. So it's like, I use a CPAP machine with the breathing issues. And it's just always is. I think part of it is like the trauma issues too. Right. Sometimes I wake up thinking I'm in the hospital. <laughs> really? Yeah. You've had so um, many surgeries though, Peter. Yeah. And, and I can see yep. how you would sometimes wake up and think that you're in the hospital. How has that been for you? It's been manageable, a lot more manageable over the last, you know, two or three, probably two years, especially mm -hmm. with the therapy that I've been getting. There's people that prefer not to do therapy and that's okay that's their choice um but to those that are like really like no 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 like they're like on the fence about it like give it a try see what happens and then if you don't like it yeah that's okay that's your choice it can really help great words of advice. at the very least you find someone to talk to you know there's a lot of 22q adults out there that are just really lonely mm -hmm. some of them that i've talked to what would you say to anyone listening that has 22Q that's feeling lonely? What would you say to them? Just find someone to talk to. Let Just vent to someone. Mm -hmm. Let them know what you're going through. I'm mentoring a couple people at the moment. So it's like I, I'll message people now and then. The 22Q Family Foundation and the International 22Q Organization. Those two have been the best resources for me. Both have connected me to some of the best friends that I've had in this community. I think it was um, Bobby Judge's group that she's an on, admin on. And Bobby Judge has been a wonderful friend to me. And um, she was one of the first 22Q parents that I met. She's got a son, Tommy, who has 22Q. And I think she had, he has another duplication or deletion as well. So um, it's... I've been friends with her and her son, Tommy, for a while, probably three years now, four years. And um, I don't—I joined that group, the, the George group, which I think has like 10,000 people in that group. And that's where I also met 
my former best friend, Adam Alec, who had passed away, you know, 2020, mm-hmm. while he was waiting for heart surgery. So. I'm so sorry. Yep. So. How old was he? 22. He's 22. Ah. <sighs> so, too many. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I've come to learn there's not so many adult males with 22Q. <laughs> So it's difficult to find friends that go through the medical challenges to really connect with. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's been a little bit difficult to find the friends that truly understand. But I do have some friends. Um, My friend Ashley actually lives in Connecticut, only a few towns over from me. That's nice. So we chat all the time through text. How important has it been for you to connect with other people who have 22Q? very important for me. Mm-hmm. It's so important. Right. What would you say to someone who is living with 22Q and has yet to meet someone? What would you say to them? Just make the connection and try your best to make a few friends and share your story. Just get it out there. I think that's great advice, you know, and be Don't yourself, be yourself, Peter. I love it. Be yourself. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it's like to live with 22Q. I I see it through my son's eyes. So I have a different perspective, but I have so much respect and love for anyone who does have 22Q, just having seen what my son has gone through. And for me, my son's the bravest person I know. And I know that when I talk to other parents, they typically say the same thing. Do you see yourself as brave? I never really thought of it as much. I just see it as living day to day. Right. It's, it's your life. It's what you live with. People always ask me like, how do you go through it? For me, it's just living day to day. Yeah. What would you wish people say to you? Have you ever had a situation where people just don't know what to say? And if you could tell them, what would you wish people would say when they find out you have 22Q? Not necessarily finding out about 22Q, but I've had instances like where people say, why does he act out this way? Or why does he do this or that? Think before you speak, definitely. You don't know what people are going through. I think that's great advice for anyone. Think before you speak. Mm -hmm. Your, Your words have power. And what are your hopes and dreams, Peter? What do you hope to accomplish in the next couple of years or so or in the future? What are your hopes and dreams? Ooh, I've got a lot of dreams over the next couple of years. I have projects that I really want to do. Some of them cost money, obviously, but I have, I want to start sneaker customizing. Nice. Yeah. I want to do my own art on it, you know, color blocking and taking Mm -hmm. a blank white shoe or just a blank shoe and turning it into something different. I love it. Yeah. There's a lot of different ways to do it. So you get like some kind of a painting kit there's a lot of like leather painting kits out there and um eventually i'll get like an airbrush kit i'll do something like that you should um, can i be your first customer sure yes (laughs) (laughs) i want the first pair no i'm just kidding if you want me to be the first customer i'm happy to be but (laughs) i would love a pair of your shoes um whenever you get that started i'm I'm gonna do my own first though (laughs) yes Yes. The first pair should definitely be yours, but I want to be like close in line after that. So sign me up. 
Maybe we'll do a 22Q podcast show. <laughs> yes. I love it. Right now it's a dream. So yeah. Hey, dream big. Never know. You know that's the so, thing. It's like you always have dreams. Just always dream big and, you know, try to go as big as you can. Mm-hmm. If it happens, happens. So yeah, I've, I've gone for some pretty big dreams before and some of them have happened and some of them haven't. You know, I've traveled around to different countries before. Um, I lived in Switzerland for about four months. Wow. What was that like? It was one of the most incredible journeys of my life. What a great life experience. Definitely. Right. And you've shared a lot of struggles and you've shared a lot of things you've had to go through and endure in your life. What sort of phrase or quote keeps you going? So I actually made a button out of this and I have a few buttons out at home. Expect the unexpected and live life to the fullest. Is that your mantra? Pretty much. One of them anyway. (laughs) What advice or final thoughts would you have for, to give to anyone listening, whether it's a parent who has a young child with 22Q, whether it's a medical professional first learning about this diagnosis or someone living with 22Q, what kind of advice or final thoughts do you have for them? Try to find a little bit of happiness through what you're going through. We always, my mom and I, we've always put a little bit of humor through what we go through, even like when we're in the hospital. So we always have humor and stubbornness and all the little good stuff. So it's like we add it all together. So mm-hmm. just try to find a little bit of happiness through it all. Not easy what we go through. It is not. It is not at all. And I just want to ask you a ton of questions, Peter. I just think. I know. I think I this just, might have to be a two interview. Thing. I just, I just think you're just such an optimistic, artistic, creative individual. And I oh, just, that's the other goal I have is I want to do a book eventually, but I don't have the skills. Like I love writing. Creative writing is more my skill, but writing a book about yourself is one of the hardest skills to do. Yeah. So if anyone is listening, <laughs> and wants I to could help. use a little bit of help with writing a book. <laughs> All right. We'll find you someone. We'll find you someone. I think that's an incredible idea. And hopefully we can help you find someone that can help. Honestly, Peter, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. This has been a joy and it has been so wonderful getting to talk to you. And, and I just want to say good luck with everything. Keep up with that positive attitude. Peter, thank you so much for being on the episode today. You are such an optimistic role model for all of us, and I wish you nothing but the absolute best. Keep creating, keep drumming, and keep having a positive outlook. Thank you again. And to all of our listeners, thank you for listening. And if you'd like to reach me, ask me any questions, or possibly be on this podcast, you can contact me at 22qpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast wherever you listen. And never forget, 22Q family, that you are not alone. Thank you.